We turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. For those of you who are visiting with us this morning, we are on a series of messages uh, in the book of Colossians. Uh, This morning you have entered uh, here at Little Farms on the day that we're dealing with verse 21, which is, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. But uh, we'll be reading the entire chapter up to that point. This evening we'll continue our series of messages uh, on those in the Bible whose names begin with the letter O. And uh, tonight that's one of the names that applies to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. So certainly invite you back for that. Colossians chapter 3, and as we read through this, reflect upon uh, the hymn we sang a little while ago about, yet not I, but Christ in me. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all And in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands. Love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this, your word. In these troubled times... How this chapter just speaks to what is true, what is right, what is holy, what is just. 
And Lord, as there's troubles all around, we thank you for this word, that we may live life pleasing to you. And Lord, as uh, Pastor Bob teaches us this day and preaches on your truths of, of fathers and how we are to live a godly life, pleasing to you, be with him, Lord. Speak through him. And Lord, may you use his words to touch our hearts. And Lord, we ask that you'll be with us in this day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So we want to look at three things from this particular passage this morning. Our three main points. First of all, it's a command to fathers. Secondly, it's a command about children. And thirdly, it is a command that is exemplified. A command to fathers, a command about children, and a command exemplified. Once again, uh, we back up just a little bit and remind ourselves that which where we have been, that Paul is speaking to this small congregation that has developed there in Colossa by God's grace through the work of his Holy Spirit. This small group has been brought together out of various backgrounds, none of which has been Christian. There are no generational Christians that are a part of the Colossa church. These are all born again, new believers in Jesus Christ. And as these folks now come to deal with the pressures of living in the society of Colossae in their day and age and are tempted to, to toss off the Christianity they have learned, to walk away from the gospel. Paul is coming to them, reminding them of the truths that, that they have heard, truths that the Holy Spirit has convicted them of, and of a life that they are to live. He has addressed, the, in a sense, the, the overarching ways in which we as Christians, and they particularly there in Colossa, are to live. That they're not to live according to their former way, but they are to live their new self because they have been, been, been made new in Christ. As a result, there, there's a whole list of things that, no, as a Christian, these no longer we participate in. The anger, the malice, the sexual immorality, those things. But we now clothe ourselves with these righteous things of Christ. Even as we are clothed in Christ, even as Christ lives within us as believers. So there are certain attributes of that. The humility, the kindness, and above all these things, put on love as well. But now Paul is dealing with, okay, now let's deal with that on the really practical level. Let, let's deal, it, deal with this. How do you live a Christian life in the most basic form, the most basic unit of human existence? The family. So he has addressed wives. He has addressed husbands. He has addressed children, and this morning now, he addresses fathers. But there's one other note to throw in here. 
Once again, oftentimes when we come to these passages, particularly that which we have dealt with in the past several weeks, we we hear all sorts of voices about how, well, Paul's just fitting into the culture. Paul's just going along with the society of his day. And as I have tried to say over these weeks, that's not true. And it falls particularly true here. The raising of children was of no interest to a father in the first generation of Greek and Roman society. Oh, they're interested in the outcome. They just don't want to be involved. And if they are involved, their involvement is with a sense of harshness and a sense of cruelty. Now, instead of Paul in these verses just going along with the norms of the society, Paul is actually being anti-cultural. He is going against the society of the day. That fills all of chapter 3, doesn't it? Hey, this is the way society is. No, you're called to a different way of life. This is the way wives are in society. But you, as a Christian, are called to a different life as a wife. This is the way husbands are in the society. But you are called to a different way of dealing with your wife as a husband. And so too with children, and now we hear with fathers. But in addressing this, it's interesting, isn't it? Look at the words. Pay particular attention to the exactness of the words. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Notice what isn't there. What isn't there? Go back to 20. Children, obey your... What's the word? Parents. Plural, right? So who are parents? Mother and father. What's the next verse? Does it say fathers and mothers provoke not your children? No. It doesn't. Paul specifically says fathers. Why? Because Paul understands the biblical understanding of the father's role. It is the father's responsibility to lead. It is the father's responsibility to be head. It is the father's responsibility to be the responsible party. And it is the father who will be held accountable. That's what Paul is teaching us. This is not something that that you, dad, can slough off and say, hey, mom did a really poor job of raising those kids. No, you did. You did. You cannot shift the blame here. You you cannot say somebody else is responsible. There's no out here. Fathers, provoke not your children. Why? Because, Dad, you're the one who is accountable. You're the one who is responsible for your children. 
Secondly, the father's responsibility in this is given to us where? In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. So go with me to Ephesians 6, 4. Here, here Paul, I mean, as I've said, Colossians and Ephesians kind of, they, they run right alongside of one another, parallel. Colossians 6, 4. Fathers, note, who is addressed again? Right? It's fathers, fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Who? Who is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Fathers. It's dad's responsibility to do so. Now, there's two terms that are used here. It's the idea of to train, and it's the idea of to instruct. The training has to deal with the idea of discipline and correction. It has to do with the idea of of molding and shaping, of bringing to maturity. Paul is saying the person responsible for that in a Christian home is the father. But Ephesians 6.4 is also saying it is the father's responsibility to instruct. It's the idea of setting the mind. So in in other words, it's not only just making sure of training a child so that he, he, he grows and functions as an adult, but that he thinks this way as well. But it is in particular regard to the Lord that a father's responsibility falls primarily on the responsibility to train a child to correct, to discipline, to to form, to shape into maturity and that their mind is developed on spiritual matters, on a right understanding of the Lord. Dad, that's your job. That's your responsibility. You are the one who is to make sure that the job gets done. Matthew Henry in, in his commentary on this, wrote, wrote a, I think he gave a very interesting picture. He said, a father's job isn't just to plant the garden, it's to weed it. Father's job isn't just to conceive children. It's to raise them. And it becomes your and my job, dads, to do so. Fathers, expressly stated. But there is, as well with this, a reminder to us. A reminder to us as dads. Our role, our function, our work... Our responsibility carries with it a heavy weight. 
And the weight is this. We are given the responsibility of reflecting the fatherhood of God. It's not your wife's job. It's not the mother's job. It's dad's job. By the way in which you train and instruct your child, your fatherhood is to be an example of the fatherhood of God. That's a heavy weight. It's a great responsibility to reflect the fatherhood of God. Think of Jesus' teaching, how many times he would, he would use the picture of a, of a father. Wouldn't you give to your child this? Well, that's like God. Even the prayer by, by which we pray, Jesus instructing us with those words, our father. He didn't, he didn't just say our parent. Our parent who art in heaven. No, he said our father. Why? Because you and I, as dads, are to be like the father of the prayer. It is that example that we are to be setting for our children. Nowhere in Scripture does a mother ever carry that responsibility. Oh, as a Christian, we are to be image bearers of Christ. Yes, of course, all of us. But in terms of this particular role, dads, it's you and I. The second thing to note is that little expression that includes in chapter 6-4 of the Ephesians passage of the Lord. Of the Lord. We have to remember, men, that our children do not belong to us. They belong to the Lord. Our children, men, are part of God's covenant. They are precious in the sight of God. Go back, read the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament tell us about God's covenant people? How does God as the Father deal with his children Israel? Oh, he disciplines them, sure. But let me tell you, he guards, he protects. He is a jealous God over his children. See, the society of Paul's day is saying, they're just kids, they don't matter, they're unimportant. They're just kids. Wait till they grow up, then they'll become important. Wait till they do something significant. Wait, wait till they, 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 they get older. Wait till they become mature. Then, then it's time to, to really listen to them and take them seriously. Paul is coming into that society and saying, men, that's nuts. These children are children of the covenant. They are precious in the sight of the Lord. He loves them. 
He cares for them. He makes a covenant, not only with you, but he makes a covenant with them. Make sure you treat them as such. They are not demons in diapers. They're covenant children who need to be trained, who need to be instructed. Too often our lives, as dads, we think is about the bigger house, more land, better job, more money. The father says, no. It's about training and instructing children. And as a 63-year-old father and grandfather, young dads, let me tell you, I wish I had hours and days and weeks and months and years back. Don't waste them. Use that time that God has given to you. Fathers, fathers, Provoke not your children. That's the second part. It is a command about children. It's a command not to provoke. The meaning is not to stir up, not to rouse to anger, not to incite anger, not to irritate, not to exasperate, not to be a constant and relentless irritation to them. Provoke them not. And I say, well, how, how do you provoke children? What, what does that mean? I... How, how do you go about doing that? Well, let me give you some ways. It's by being inconsistent. It's by being unjust. It's by showing favoritism. I got to. I don't know who the people are. Okay, and, and this is no con- And I don't know the situation. That's what makes the situation I'm going to refer to troublesome. Okay. I, I read obituaries, okay? It's just one of those things. Maybe it's because I'm 63, trying to figure out how to write mine. I don't know. But I read obituaries. Last week, there was an obituary of a man who died, and it listed his sons, his two sons, yada, yada. And then it said, and the apple of his eye, his daughter. And I thought, I wonder what the two sons are now thinking. If the apple of the eye was the daughter, what are the two sons? Were they cores? What, what were they? And my guess is I, there might be something in the background to all of that. There, there might be something that, that is to be said there. But just reading it, it's like, it sounds an awful lot like fa- favoritism. One he loved more than the other. My friends, fathers, that can brew a provoking because it's constant and it's an irritation. Our tempers that get the best of us, that flare up and we, we no longer are under control. Our demeanor 
perhaps of always being crabby and cranky and ornery. Perhaps it's our withholding of love. I bet there are some men in this room who never heard their father say, I love you. They never said it. And I'm wondering how many men there are in this room who have never said it to their children. Oh, maybe when it's kind of, well, you know, they're three, four, that's easy. Now they're 17, they're 18. They're 13. Being overbearing, being demeaning, constant fault-finding. Those lines just weren't straight enough when you mowed the lawn again. I see a spot on the left rear wheel well that you missed in washing my car. Unreasonable commands. Expectations of children that they cannot make. Needless severity in our discipline. Do not provoke. Lest they become discouraged. They lose heart. They become disheartened. Their spirit is broken. They fall away. You see, what Paul's concern in this text is not what the world reads into this. And kids, I want you to listen to this part as well. Because the world and perhaps you might be reading into this. Well, that means that dad has to do everything to make me happy. Because if dad makes me unhappy, then I'm going to be provoked and I'm going to be discouraged. You're probably already plotting Sunday dinner, the conversation. Say, dad, I was listening to Pastor Bob. I want to talk to you about my curfew. I think you're being a little overbearing, dad. I don't think it's real fair. Now, Paul's concern here, you see, is of spiritual matters. This is the primary focus. Dad, don't provoke your children so that they become discouraged and fall away from the Lord. Don't live life in such a way that your children go, I don't want anything to do with God because if that's what following God is like, I don't want to do it. I don't know why dad on some Sundays yells and yells and yells, get ready, get ready, we got to go. And the next week, he could care less if we go to church. Fathers, do not provoke your children so that they become discouraged. 
This is to take the word of God and apply it to their lives consistently. So that they are trained and instructed and are not provoked, but are encouraged. Third, this command is exemplified. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to tell you what it didn't say. Which is often what people think it did say, but it didn't. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, let me tell you what that passage doesn't say. It doesn't say this. God will never give you more than you can handle. That isn't what Paul and the Holy Spirit just told you. What the passage does tell you is this. God will provide that which you need to live obediently before him. We can never say, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do what God asked me to do. I can't do that. That's impossible. When Paul writes, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul is not placing before you and I, man, a command that is impossible for us to do. God always provides that which we need to do that which will be obedient to him. God exemplifies it. This is the way God in his fatherhood deals with us. Now let me ask you a question. Do you ever place before your children something that it is impossible for them to do? See, God doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. Sometimes the, the rules that we make as dads are so arbitrary that we didn't put any thought into it. We, we made the rule out of anger. We were, we were ticked off, and so we came up with this rule, and it really makes no sense. There's no way our children are going to be able to obey that. See, God never does that. He always gives that which enables us to resist the temptation to what? To disobey. Secondly, the Father, our Heavenly Father, loves beyond our sinfulness. A Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, 
loves beyond our sinfulness. Turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. What does our heavenly father do? What, how, does, how does he exemplify his fatherhood? 103 verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Forgives all. See, he loves beyond our sinfulness. Go with me down to verse 10 of Psalm 103. Verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. There is the fatherhood of God. Think about that. In the fatherhood of God, as a father, he does not deal with us according to our sins, or repay us according to our iniquities. That's an example for you and I, Dad. In our fatherhood. Verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. There is the fatherhood of God. A steadfast love. See, it never diminishes. It never dwindles. I mean, there are several men in this congregation this morning who would say, there are times I didn't know if my dad loved me or not. He seems so angry. He seems so upset. I don't know if he loved me. Maybe he went days or weeks without even talking to you after you had done something. You don't know. But you see, our Heavenly Father doesn't act that way. The problem is, oftentimes, that which we saw exemplified in our fathers is that which we now exemplify to our own children, and God is calling and saying, no, 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 don't look at your earthly father. Look at me. I love you beyond your sinfulness. Thirdly, our father is consistent. It's Malachi 3, 6, right? I, Jehovah, I, the Lord, I, Yahweh, I, your covenant, God, change not. I think oftentimes, perhaps, this is where we fall short, men. It's our consistency. It's our lack of consistency. Yep. Yeah, that works for 24 hours, but not for 36 it works for a week, but not two. It works for a month, but not two. It works maybe for a year, but not a lifetime. God, in his fatherhood, is consistent. His salvation is never withdrawn. His love is not withdrawn. His working in our lives is not withdrawn. His presence is not withdrawn. But God exemplifies his fatherly love 
even more clearer, doesn't he? Right here. Here it is. The love of our Father. In the giving of his Son. So that we might be his children. Oh, how he loves you and me. Amen? Amen. Father, again, your word challenges us. Your word, Father, corrects. Your word disciplines. But it does so because you love us. And you love us as dads. You love us as fathers. Oh, how we see your fatherly love throughout the word. But this morning, we see it at this table. The tender love that you as a father have for us as your children. Exemplified in bread and a cup. In Christ's name, God's people say, amen.